Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to the Beeson Podcast. This particular podcast is coming to you from Denver, Colorado. The Rocky Mountains are just outside our window. It's a beautiful blue sky day with snow-capped mountains. Why are we in Denver? Well, this is the annual meeting of the Evangelical Theological Society. That's a group of theologians committed to the scriptures and the historic Christian faith of the evangelical tradition that meets once a year. And we have hundreds and hundreds of papers that are given. There are plenary talks. It's just a good time of fellowship and renewal and learning. And one of the people who's come to uh, this uh, meeting is Dr. Lucas Stamps. I knew he was going to be here, so I wrote him and said, Lucas, would you be willing to have a discussion with me on the Beeson podcast? And he said, yes. And so here he is. Welcome, Lucas. Thank you for having me. Let's begin by maybe just asking you to tell a little bit about your own story, your pilgrimage of faith, how you came to faith. So I was uh, born in a rural Alabama town, northwest Alabama. I had Christian parents, uh, took me to church, and um, at a vacation Bible school when I was seven years old, um, was confronted with the claims of Christ and felt the conviction of sin, and after talking with my parents and, and my pastor, um, prayed to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior, was baptized later that summer, and by God's grace have walked with him ever since. Was this a Southern Baptist church? Southern Baptist church, yes. And you've continued in that same denomination? I have. Yeah. yeah. So from age seven, vacation Bible school and your baptism, now you're a theologian. You're teaching at a Baptist university, Anderson University in South Carolina. That's right. And so fill in the gap. So after uh, high school, I actually went to Auburn University and uh, was intending to be a chemical engineer. Uh, that's what I went to Auburn for. But between my freshman and sophomore years, I felt a call to ministry. And, and again, after talking about that with my parents and some pastors, uh, sort of confirmed that call. And so I actually switched majors to history, finished in history um, as a way of sort of preparation for seminary, and then did seminary at uh, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, um, did an MDiv there, and had had the bug from the very beginning really to do a PhD, was really interested in uh, systematic theology, so I stayed on to do a PhD in systematic theology there, and um, from there uh, my first post was at California Baptist University in Southern California, uh, I was there for five years, um, and then this opportunity at Anderson, a bit closer to family for us, our family's still in Alabama, so moved to Anderson just last year. Great. Second year. Now, I want to get on to some of the other projects you've been involved in, but just you mentioned your Ph.D. dissertation. It might be interesting for folks to know what you wrote about, why you chose that topic, and what you had to say about it. Right. So I wrote on Christology as the general area, but I was specifically looking at a controversy that arose in the 7th century of the church as to whether or not Christ has one will or two. Uh, by that time, most uh, most of the people debating these things agreed that Christ had two natures, the divine nature That was the Chalcedonian nature. decision, right, right? Right. So people were working within that Chalcedonian framework, but then the debate became, well, what about the will, the, the faculty of, of volition? And uh, some said the will was a property of his person, and therefore, by Chalcedonian logic, he has only one. Uh, others said, no, the will 
is, inheres in his two natures. And so by that same logic, he has two, two wills. And so the church met in council at the sixth ecumenical council that, that during that century and decided in favor of the two wills view, which became the orthodox position um, both east and west. In recent decades, though, some um, Christian theologians and philosophers have called that into question um, and have kind of sought to rehabilitate the old one-will view. So my dissertation was a response to those contemporary one-will proposals, trying to retrieve the best of the, the two-wills tradition. Now, I know after Chalcedon there were a number of churches, uh, the Coptic and other churches, mm-hmm. who adopted a less-than-fully-Chalcedonian understanding of the two natures. Is that also true of the two wills? Uh, I think the church was fairly unanimous uh, in, in, the, in the little O Orthodox churches um, in, in both East and West. So there, there really wasn't um, a lingering one-will view until really the modern era. So the rise of canonic Christology and Protestant liberalism uh, were some of the first places where people called it into question. I guess if there's a danger in the two-will view, which, as you say, is the standard Orthodox Christian mm-hmm. position on this, it's that it can push us in a way toward a Nestorian. Right. Uh, what is that, and why is that a problem? Right, so the Nestorian heresy um, essentially states that there are two persons, or tends in that direction, to see uh, the humanity and the deity of Christ so separated that they essentially constitute two persons. And that certainly is the danger on the two wills side. But on the other hand, if you would adopt a, a one will position, the danger on the other side is, of course, Apollinarianism. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the idea that perhaps the person of the Son simply took the place of the human soul or will of Christ, in which case he wouldn't be fully human. And therefore couldn't make uh, a sacrifice for our salvation. That's right. Because we'd need to be saved entirely. Right. So, so. Gregory of Nazianzus uh, from the 4th century, really, uh, his... his uh, famous axiom that that which is unassumed is unhealed. Uh, mm-hmm. That figured prominently in the two wills debate. If Christ doesn't have a human will, how can he be the savior of those with fallen human wills? So this topic you've developed out of your dissertation is going to be a book soon uh, from Fortress Press, Thy Will Be Done, A Contemporary Defense of Two Wills. That's right. So when can we expect to see that? Hopefully next year. Just doing some edits and a little expansion in the last chapter, but It'll be a wonderful major contribution to this topic, and I'm glad you've taken it up. Not many Southern Baptists are experts in uh, what we call monothelitism, the one willness of Christ, uh, but you're, you're, you're a, a rarity in that regard, and I commend you for, for dealing with it. Now, I'd like to move our conversation to talk about another project that you've been integral to from the beginning. Uh, I think it's one of the most encouraging things I know about happening on the Baptist scene, anyway, called the Center for Baptist Renewal. Now, we had a podcast interview with Dr. Matthew Emerson some time ago, and so we're aware of it. Some of our listeners have heard a little bit about it. But uh, you were, and Matthew were right there from the beginning, weren't you, as kind of the co-originators of this idea. That's right. So what is the Center for Baptist Renewal, and what are you trying to accomplish with it? Yeah, so uh, Matthew and I were colleagues at... Uh, California Baptist University together several years ago, and we realized we both, uh, he, he coming from the biblical studies angle, me from systematic, realized we had a, a deep love for the tradition and for the history of interpretation and, and for the traditional forms of worship um, that we see throughout Christian history, 
and believed that Baptists could benefit from from retrieving those uh, traditional elements of Christian faith and practice. And so uh, we had this idea to to start a center as a way of equipping pastors, churches, other um, academics like ourselves to think more carefully about what it means to be a Baptist and as a as, as we've often read you you put it uh, dr george as a renewal movement within the church uh within the one the one catholic church rather than simply seeing ourselves as a sort of sectarian group so the center is um uh, basically just um a place where um uh, people of like mind can uh can can uh gain resources I and mean, so we have a website that has a, a blog that has regular content uh matthew and i uh, co-wrote um, a manifesto of sorts uh, that sort of in, in 11 articles uh, says what we're up to um, uh, in terms of retrieving the church's um, creeds and confessions and uh, liturgy, all while remaining distinctively Baptist. We, we are committed Baptists. Uh, we're, we often try to convince people as much as we love all of the other traditions of the church. We're not just Baptists playing Anglican or, or something like that. Uh, and so we, we are committed Baptists, but we believe that Baptists have much to, to receive from these other traditions and, and from the, the whole history of the church. You know, there's a movement now uh, within younger generation of Baptists to desire greater liturgical worship, all the things that you're talking about, the creeds and confessions of the church. And some people with that idea uh, find it necessary or desirable in their view to leave the Baptist tradition and become something else. And you're, you're kind of putting a, a marker in the sand and saying, you don't have to do that. That's right. We haven't done that, and yet we appreciate liturgy, the church year, uh, all of the, the wonderful things. Uh, you know, I've, I've often had this discussion with Catholics, and I've said to people, uh, why should the Catholics have all the fun? <laughs> you know, why should the Anglicans have all the fun? Uh, so your, your argument basically in this center is that this is not antithetical to the best of the Baptist tradition. That's right. So you want to retrieve that, reclaim that in a way for contemporary Baptists today. That's right. We certainly don't begrudge anyone's uh, spiritual journey. If, if people, many, we, we have you know, friends and know of others who have left uh, the Baptist tradition for others. Uh, but we do want to say you don't have to leave. I mean, I, I think that, that is, that's part of the impetus behind this, um, to say that there is a, a way for Baptists, and there's even precedent in our own tradition uh, for drawing on more ancient forms of doctrine and practice um, to so yeah to say we 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 can do this um, in a particularly Baptist way. Now you and Matthew Emerson have um, come together in a project called Baptist and the Christian Tradition toward an evangelical Baptist Catholicity. Now there's another term that uh, is problematic for a lot of people, Catholicity, because many people immediately associate that exclusively with Roman Catholicism. Right. But of course it has a much broader and deeper and longer. Uh, history than that. What do you mean by Baptist Catholicity? Yeah, we, we would mean it in that little c Catholic sense, right, um, of the worldwide church, right, the church across space and time that, that would include all of the diversity even that we see. I mean, we, we, we don't necessarily conceive of Catholicity as uniformity, but Catholicity would, uh, would envelop within it the whole church of Christ and, and all of its distinct expressions. Uh, but we, we want to see ourselves as a part of that, as, as a part of that one body of Christ. Um, and so that's what we have in mind with that term. Now, you're not the only Baptist in the world who think this way. There are other Baptists who say similar, not exactly identical uh, points that you, you and, and Matthew and the Center for Baptist Renewal make. I'm thinking of 
my good friends Curtis Freeman, for example, Steve Harmon, Elizabeth Newman. Uh, these are wonderful theologians, great Christian scholars themselves, and they also uh, talk about Baptist Catholicity. Uh, have you had any conversation with them? How would you say your view is different from theirs? Do you see yourselves as allies or what? Yeah, so we've had we've had some correspondence uh, with Curtis and Steve, and uh, we certainly see them as as fellow travelers along this uh, this pilgrimage um, towards a, a Baptist Catholicity. Of course, they're they're. Um, some of their theological conclusions and, and even some of their theological method would be would be somewhat different from ours, uh, but I, I see it as a kind of encouraging sign um, uh, that that we from different sectors of the American Baptist um, movement can can find some commonalities um, as we we're seeking to again retrieve the Trinitarian faith right the the Trinitarian and, and Christological consensus of the early church and those sorts of things so we yeah we, we certainly have been greatly helped by Curtis and Steve's work and and, and Newman and the others who produced their own manifesto in the 90s mm-hmm. um, that that has has been a kind of inspiration for us we see our expression of Baptist Catholicity as more distinctively, I uh, suppose you could say, conservative evangelical, right? So we, we um, are committed to the inerrancy of Scripture and to uh, a more conservative expression of, of, of the Baptist vision. And most of the members, I guess is true, of the Center for Baptist Renewal are Southern Baptists. That's not a, a prerequisite, I don't right. think, but no, that's right. it seems to be that's the way it's worked out. Right, so we start where we are, right? I mean, that's a lot, a lot of our connections have been in the Southern Baptist world, but we certainly would wish and welcome for there to be uh, Baptists from other denominations, other continents. Well, listen, uh, I want to talk to you also about uh, your interest in a person I have thought was just a great thinker. He's been the Pope. He's now Pope Emeritus, Benedict XVI, Joseph Ratzinger, Tell me about your interest in him and his thought, and why is that important for all Christians, and maybe especially Baptist Christians, to be aware of? Yeah, so I started reading Ratzinger several years ago um, with his um, two, now three-volume Jesus of Nazareth, and was so struck by how very little disagreement there was for any Protestant to find in this, a deeply biblical uh, treatment of, of the, the gospel accounts of, of Christ's life and death and resurrection, and um, you know, deeply rooted in in uh, uh, traditional interpretation of these texts. And so I, I gained an interest in, in Ratzinger, and uh, some some um, some folks at Lexham Press were putting together a, a, a volume of a sort of Protestant appreciation of Ratzinger's theology, and they knew that I was interested in Ratzinger, so I um, was asked to do a, a chapter on on um, Ratzinger's uh, theological anthropology, and so that I did a lot more research into all of his uh, uh, treatment of that, which is voluminous, as you know. Yeah. But yeah, I, mean, I think he's—I think he's one of the greatest living theologians, um, and there's so much to gain uh, for any any Protestant reader, really. You know, a couple of my colleagues at Beeson have developed an interest in Ratzinger's theology. Uh, Dr. Paul House, Dr. Mm-hmm. Grant Taylor, I don't know if you know their project. They're, they're, they're working with Roman Catholic scholars like Scott Hahn and others to shine the light on Ratzinger's theology and reclaim it for the whole church if we can. That's great. So that's another wing of the movement you might uh, be interested in getting in touch with. Back to the Center for Baptist Renewal. What's the future of this movement? Uh, before you answer that question, answer this one. Uh, what you're doing is, uh, let me say, a little bit unusual. Mm. 
and maybe even gutsy. But I've been pleasantly surprised as, as I look at it that you're still alive and kicking and you haven't been squashed out of existence. Have you had opposition? We've really had no major opposition. I mean, no, no one has, has, you know, really even called it into question. Almost universally, the feedback we get is positive. Uh, I suppose maybe someone out there could be critical and just not tell it, not be telling us. But we get, you know, we, we, we get uh, emails on a regular basis from uh, pastors in Maine or Texas or or places like that who, who, who tell us things like, I've wanted something like this for years, ever since I took church history in seminary mm-hmm. and had, you know, had a, a, an interest in, in the history of the whole church. And, and that's a great encouragement to us that they're, and not, not just among younger Southern Baptists and other Baptists. We, we do certainly, I think there is uh, an, an appeal to this among younger Baptists, but we, we've had older Baptist pastors tell us that this is something they, they sort of wish that, that had been fostered before now. So a lot of positive feedback, and we're deeply encouraged by that. You know, a few years ago, my, my good friend Colin Hansen wrote a book called Young, Restless, and Reformed. Mm-hmm. Maybe you ought to write a book called Young, Restless, Reformed, Baptist, and Liturgical. <laughs> That's a great idea. <laughs> that might be a bestseller. Well, what's the future for the Center for Baptist Renewal? Yeah, so we have uh, plans. We would like to eventually have a conference um, to, to gather together some similar-minded scholars on this sort of thing and uh, the pastors and so on. Uh, podcast is another inter- interest of ours. Uh, right now we have the website, which has lots of resources. Um, Matthew and I have been writing a, a commentary of sorts on the manifesto, um, which we hope to put together into a book, um, maybe just even an e-book that we can distribute to sort of show people this is what you know what we're after and the kind of vision that we see so we you know we'd like to continue to expand the content on the blog maybe book reviews um that Mm -hmm. sort of thing so but yeah we we we, you know our time is sort of constrained by all our other responsibilities and so at this point i feel like we're sort of still gathering interest and 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 as a sort of beacon to say who 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 might be with us right yeah As, as a part of this vision so if a person's interested in knowing more about the center for baptist renewal how would they go about it they can go to the Center for Baptist Renewal dot com and and see uh, all the information there. Again, we have a blog that with regular content. Uh, so, oh, I think this is just a wonderful, encouraging movement of the Holy Spirit in our time, and it's uh, not limited just to Baptists. I mean, there are retrieval movements among Presbyterians. I think of uh, Scott Swain and uh, Mike Allen down at RTS in Orlando, and and among Methodists, Wesleyan. Think of the great work of Tom Oden and the legacy that. He has left us, and Lutherans also. I mean, this is something the Spirit is nudging the church toward. So, I wish you well with it, and uh, count me in as a cheerleader. Right. Well, thank you, and of course, you, you're one of our uh, senior fellows on the on the center, and been a great help in, in helping promote the the work of the center. So, we, we really do appreciate that. My guest today on the Beeson podcast has been Dr. Lucas Stamps. He's a theologian. He teaches at Anderson University in Anderson, South Carolina. And he, along with Matthew Emerson, founded the Center for Baptist Renewal. And I encourage you to go to the website and check it out. I think you'll be pleasantly pleased with what you find there. Thank you so much, Lucas. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, beesondivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. 
We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.